I'm here with my friend and colleague, Franco Terrazano, of course, the federal director of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. Uh, I'm Jay Goldberg, the Ontario and Interim Atlantic Director. And today we're going to be talking about interest rates, inflation, all of that good stuff. Franco, the Bank of Canada just raised interest rates again. I'm sure many of our listeners here are homeowners like I am, and uh, obviously some older ones too are wanting to see their kids be able to buy homes. Uh, how are these interest rates going to affect homeowners and potential home buyers? Well, mortgage rates tend to go up and move in tandem with the Bank of Canada interest rate hikes. Now, the Bank of Canada started raising its interest rates early in 2022. And, uh, you know, just before coming on the show this morning, I checked out the uh, website Be Better Dwelling uh, to look at the average monthly mor mortgage payments and how they've changed over the last couple of years. Well, they've increased by about 5.6% between the end of 2021 and the end of 2022. Now, that's an extra about $924 um, in a year, which is a lot of money. But folks, I think the biggest issue that we're going to be seeing with these higher interest rates from the Bank of Canada is actually where things are going. So how mortgage payments will increase over the next couple of years. And the reason I say that is because the Bank of Canada says that the bulk of homeowners who are borrowing money will have to renew their mortgages by 2026, and they could see up to a 40% increase in their monthly mortgage payments. Now, let me break down what that would mean. So the average monthly mortgage payment in Canada right now is about $1,450. Well, a 40% increase in monthly mortgage payments would jump that up to just over $2,000. Okay, that's an extra $580 a month or an extra $7,000 a year in mortgage payments. That's insane. Like, you know, where a family is going to come up with all of those thousands of dollars. And you just mentioned, and, and I'm one of those, our, our mortgage will come up in January of 2026. And uh, I guess I better tell my wife, we might be looking at a 40% hike there. Uh, not great news. Uh, not great news to hand out. Um, so 40% increase in mortgage payments, that's something that we're expecting now down the road. Uh, and that could cost people thousands of dollars every year, right? Yeah, 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 exactly. I mean, this is not good news. Um, by 2026, you could be looking at up to a 40% increase uh, with the average mortgage payment in Canada. That's an extra $580 a month or an extra $7,000 a year. But look, I, I don't want to freak people out here um, because remember, that's the upper limit that the Bank of Canada is suggesting. So not everyone is going to be seeing that type of increase. Is right. So I just want to provide a word of caution. And also, let's not forget, folks, that that's what the Bank of Canada is saying. <laughs> well, if you've been following this podcast or just the news over the last couple of years, well, the Bank of Canada has gone a lot of things wrong, to put it mildly. Um, but at the Bank of Canada, they're saying it could be a range between a 20 percent increase all the way up to a 40 percent increase uh, for renewals. And even a 20% increase would mean a ton of pain for a ton of homeowners. Let me just put that into perspective. A 20% increase in monthly mortgage payments, if you take the average, would be an extra $290 a month or an extra $3,500 a year. 
So even at the low end, you're still looking at a huge cost to homeowners because of these interest rate hikes. And and remember, bottom line, folks, is that when the Bank of Canada increases its interest rates, when you see that in the news, well, then you can expect different interest rates in the economy to go up, including your monthly mortgage payments. So, of course, uh, you said if things don't change uh, the current trajectory we're on, but, if, uh, you know, there, there are ways for us to make changes. There are certainly ways for policymakers to make changes so that we don't get to this doomsday scenario in the next few years. Uh, but I guess it's first important to figure out why are interest rates going up before we can talk about you know what we can do to fix the situation. Yeah, that's a really good question. So look, uh, people are paying higher rates because the government increased inflation. Now, to be fair, there's a lot of different things that influence prices. Obviously, international incidences, what's going on around the world plays a plays a factor. But look, let's not take the federal government off the hook here because the federal government should con control what it can control and what it can control led to higher prices. We're talking about never ending deficits. We're talking about tax increases. We're talking about the Bank of Canada itself printing a ton of money uh, out of thin air to help finance these types of deficits. So if we want the government to uh, ease the pain of these higher in interest rates, well then the government has to stop doing what, what it did to lead to the inflation which led to the resulting interest rate hikes. Okay, I want to break this down just a little bit more for listeners uh, in terms of how government has helped to create this inflation. So you mentioned a number of factors. Let's talk first about deficit spending and how that's helped to trigger inflation. Well, even Finance Minister Christia Freeland herself <laughs> acknowledged that more borrowing means higher inflation. I want to read you a quote from her, which she said last fall, quote, we cannot compensate every single Canadian for all the costs of inflation. To do so would only make inflation worse and would force the Bank of Canada to raise interest rates even higher. OK, uh, but by the time that Freeland made this acknowledgement, the government had already lost control of the fiscal reins. You know, even before the pandemic, before any cross-country recession back in 2018, the Trudeau government was spending all-time highs, even after accounting for inflation and population growth. So we were spending more in 2018 than the government was during any single year when the feds were fighting the Nazis during the Second World War. Then the pandemic happens. Well, when the pandemic happened, the government announced about $570 billion of new spending. Of that new spending, more than $200 billion had nothing to do with the pandemic. Nothing to do with the pandemic. And that is according to the parliamentary budget officer. And remember, when Trudeau was first running to be the prime minister, he said he'd run a couple incy-bincy, uh, teeny-weensy little deficits and finally balance the books in 2019. He missed that mark by $20 billion. Then Freeland said that she would balance the budget by 2027. Well, the most recent budget shows that there's just going to be deficits ongoing. And now the parliamentary budget officer pegs the next balanced budget in 2041, almost two decades from now. Yeah, so that's 18 years from now. Okay, so my two-year-old daughter is going to be 20 and in university by the time the Trudeau government uh, balances the budget, if they keep going this way. Ah, geez. All right, Franco, I've heard you talk about the inflation tax many times. Of course, deficit spending is a big part of the issue, but it's really a portion or maybe half of the issue. 
And I know the other portion, which you also love to talk about, is the role that the Bank of Canada has played in terms of, uh, you know, revving up the printing press. So uh, can you explain how the, the printing press has contributed to this as well? Yeah, sorry, Jay. I'm here in Ottawa, so it's hard to hear you because all I can hear in the background is the burr of the printing <laughs> press right down the street on Wellington. Uh, look, I mean, at the end of the day, it's it's actually more simple than you would think. Uh, the more dollars that the central bank, the Bank of Canada prints, the less that your dollars in your checkings account or your savings account will buy. Now, the Bank of Canada prints new money by buying financial assets like government bonds. So whenever the central bank buys one of these government bonds, it does so by creating money right out of thin air. And the Bank of Canada was doing this on overdrive during the pandemic. Let me just give you some numbers. So between March 2020 and March 2022, the Bank of Canada printed about $370 billion. Okay. Now that's a 300% growth in the Bank of Canada's assets. It's significantly more than what we saw happen during the recession of the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, uh, and also the 0809 financial crisis. Now, remember, folks, the Bank of Canada printed these hundreds of billions of dollars out of thin air, and it dropped it into an economy that was largely shut down because of the government's lockdown measures during the pandemic. So this essentially creates the perfect storm for inflation which is too many dollars chasing too few goods. Yeah, exactly. And then, of course, we talked about the printing press. We talked about the deficits, but we also have to talk about higher taxes. And the Bank of Canada, which, of course, is trying to get inflation under control right now. Obviously, they've contributed to inflation, but now they're raising interest rates to try to deal with it. But they've actually said that taxes are 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 an issue here. And they've said that the carbon tax in particular is part of the problem. Of course it is. I mean, duh, <laughs> right? I mean, the only people who are debating whether or not carbon taxes are part of the problem are just like some academics or something who are getting paid by the government. I mean, look, the entire objective of the carbon tax is to yep. increase prices. That's the entire objective. I mean, this isn't even the Canadian Taxpayers Federation having to point it out. The government's own numbers show that the carbon tax increases the price of gas by 14 cents a liter, the price of diesel by 17 cents a liter, and the price of natural gas by 12 cents per cubic meter, right? But 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 like the carbon tax doesn't just make it more expensive for you to go to work with your car or to keep your home warm during the winter months. The carbon tax cascades throughout the whole economy. Now, what I mean by that is because the carbon tax makes it more expensive to fuel up that big rig trucker truck that is uh, bringing your food to the store, it also increases the price you pay when you go to the grocery store. Or because the carbon tax makes it more expensive for farmers to dry the grain, to produce the food, it makes it more expensive for you to buy that food when you're at the store, right? Now, worst case scenario is actually happening. Not only are we paying a carbon tax that continues to go up, but the Trudeau government is bringing in a second carbon tax taking effect July 1, 2023. Now, when that second carbon tax, which is buried in fuel regulations, is fully implemented by 2030, it will have increased uh, the price of gas by up to 17 cents a liter. So we already know that high gas taxes are driving up the price today, but by 2030, folks, Trudeau's two carbon taxes will increase the price of gasoline by about 55 cents a liter. Oh, 
you know, we think it's bad now going to the gas station and calculating what the carbon tax is and all that, but this is nothing compared to what we're going to get by 2030. If we go yeah. down the same track, we're going to need a bigger calculator, Jay. We're going to need a much bigger calculator. And uh, speaking of calculators and numbers, uh, obviously interest rates going up, that impacts us on our mortgages, that impacts our line of credit. It can impact credit cards. But of course, it impacts the government too. The government borrows a heck of a lot of money. We have a heck of a lot of debt in this country, over a trillion dollars. So what kind of impact is this interest rate hike or hikes, all of the hikes, going to have on uh, the federal government's books. Yeah, well, I mean, essentially it just means more money wasted on interest charges, right? I mean, it's pretty easy uh, to understand. You rack up more debt and or you have higher interest rates, taxpayers pay more for debt interest charges. Now, Jack Mintz is an economist at the University of Calgary, and here's what he said, quote, just a one-point increase in interest rates would then increase the annual deficit by close to $5 billion. Now, we're already paying about $3.6 billion every month for federal debt interest charges. That's about 90% of the entire Canada health transfer to the provinces. Okay, by 2027, the interest charges on the government credit card are going to tax are going to cost taxpayers about $50 billion, which is more than double the pre-pandemic level. Yeah, uh, that's just nuts. And actually, I, I was just talking with a supporter uh, about what's going on in Ontario, too. You know, this obviously affects the federal government, uh, but it, it affects the provinces. Ontario is is deep, deep in debt, the most indebted uh, subnational government in the world. And we're actually paying about $1.2 billion a month on debt interest. And I love to talk about the fact that you could get 14 brand new state-of-the-art hospitals here in Ontario if we didn't have to spend all of that money. So not only are the feds wasting tens of billions, but we're seeing it all across the country in all of our provinces. Uh, Ontario certainly leading the pack there. So Franco, obviously there's debt everywhere. The feds, uh, provinces across the country. How do we deal with this? How do we get out of this mess? Okay, well, I think the big mess facing uh, Canadian families right now is is the high cost of living. Whether you're talking about higher prices at the store, higher prices when you're at the pumps, or even just worried about your your mortgage payments going through the roof. Well, when you're in a hole, stop digging, <laughs> right? So interest rates are going up because of high inflation. And there's a lot of things the government has done and is doing to make inflation worse. So stop doing that. <laughs> stop the money printing. Stop the never-ending deficit. Stop the tax hikes, right? So essentially, the two things that the government should do right away is balance the budget and scrap the carbon taxes. Now, the carbon tax, by the way, is something that the government could do immediately today yeah. to immediately provide relief for families. Okay, so right now, the government could save a family about $10 every time they fuel up their minivan just by scrapping the carbon tax, just by scrapping the carbon tax right there. Um, and, you know, we've actually seen other countries around the world do this to provide relief, right? We saw Australia cut its gas tax in half. We saw South Korea cut its gas tax by 30%. We saw the United Kingdom announce billions of dollars in fuel tax relief. You had Germany, you had the Netherlands also provide um, some significant 
fuel tax relief. And you saw many provinces do the same thing. Ontario, Premier Doug Ford, he cut gas taxes. Newfoundland and Labrador cut gas taxes. And in Alberta, you have the Daniel Smith government completely suspending provincial fuel taxes. So that's how the government, the federal government in Ottawa, could immediately provide relief today. Yeah, I think the really worrying takeaway here, of course, is that families could be paying thousands more to renew their mortgage uh, if things don't change. We have seen, definitely, here in Ontario, in Newfoundland and Labrador, in Alberta, we have seen examples of lower gas tax. It can be done. It is being done right now here in Canada. So this is definitely something that the federal government could look at and, and pursue quite easily. Um, you know, as I was saying, too, with the interest rates, it's just tough. It's tough to make ends meet. Uh, I have, you know, a good friend of mine has a variable mortgage. You know, some people have fixed mortgages. I happen to have that, and we're lucky we don't have to renew for a few years. A friend of mine has a variable mortgage, uh, has a place in, in Hamilton. His mortgage has gone up, the mortgage payment, by over $750 a month. So wow. this is impacting a lot of people right now. Because uh, some people, whoever chose a variable mortgage, uh, they're getting screwed right now. So this is a huge problem going forward. But for many, it's a huge problem right away. Uh, obviously, as we said, a good takeaway for sure. Interest rates are going up because of inflation. And inflation is being helped along in large part by what the government is doing. So clear takeaways here. Families are going to be hit hard now and down the road, especially when it comes to mortgages. And the government is helping to cause inflation, which is helping to cause the higher interest rates. And there are ways, folks, there are lots of ways that the government could be acting to help actually meet this challenge. So if you want to learn more about uh, all of this, the inflation, the interest rates, how everything's tied together, Franco has a really good op-ed in the Toronto Sun you can check out. It's in the show notes. You can also find it on our website, taxpayer.com. Uh, Franco, I just want to thank you for uh, for joining us. And, and you know, it's, it's a lot of bad news, but it's sobering news that everybody has to hear. So thanks for joining us and outlining not only the bad news, but also what we can do to change it and what we need to demand from our governments to try to change course. Thank you very much. Ryan, now you've done some great digging already since you've joined the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. But maybe my favorite story is the one that we're going to talk uh, about today. You know, I'm going to be honest <laughs> with our listeners. I wasn't even aware that this slush fund existed for former members of parliament. So why don't you break down uh, what it is that you dug up? Yeah, well, uh, the basic news here is that XMPs are billing taxpayers for Ivy League educations. Um, they're tapping into this little known $15,000 slush fund um, the official, that's officially called transition support. So since 2019, at least 12 XMPs, uh, liberals, conservatives, new Democrats across the board have tapped into this fund for education and professional development, expensing a total of $90,303 to taxpayers. So they use this money to go to schools that, you know, quite frankly, most Canadians would have to be collegiate hockey stars to attend. We're talking Harvard, uh, Cornell, both out of the U.S. We're talking about McGill, the, the Rotman School of Management at the University of Toronto, the Institute for Corporate Directors. Uh, and just because other departing MPs uh, didn't use uh, the slush fund for education or training, 
doesn't mean they weren't uh, tapping into this $15,000 that's available to them for other purposes. So the $90,000 we're talking about, that's just to go attend, you know, these Ivy League uh, schools out of the U.S. or these uh, prestigious universities here in Canada. Yeah, folks, former, former members of parliament getting to bill you to go to an Ivy League school. Must be nice, huh? Um, Ryan, why don't you actually give us a little bit more details, though, on the slush fund itself? Yeah, for sure. So the transition support, as they call it, this is the slush fund up to $15,000, and it's available for MPs who either lose re-election or who choose not to run again. So MPs must spend the transition support uh, funding within 12 months of leaving office. Although uh, during the COVID-19 pandemic, they did extend that deadline for, for a number of MPs. Uh, the money can be used for, you know, as I mentioned, education, professional development. They can also expense, you know, office supplies, long distance phone calls, or up to four round trips within Canada. So, you know, I think it's important to point out here, you know, most Canadians can't get fired, right, and still bill their former bosses for an Ivy League education. Seems pretty basic, but that's that's what's going on here with these uh, XMPs and this particular slush fund. And it's also worth pointing out that this is on top of a slew of other platinum perks and benefits and high pays uh, that MPs are already getting. Yeah, yeah, you say basic, but really it's uh, pretty common sense that you shouldn't be able to leave uh, your, your your workplace and then bill your former employer for an Ivy League education. Now, folks, forgive Ryan, he's new to Ottawa, so he doesn't understand that common sense just isn't that common here in the nation's capital. Um, uh, Ryan, look, you pulled some pretty crazy examples of ex-members of Parliament tapping into the slush fund, so why don't you give the highlights to our listeners? Yeah, for sure. So uh, one that immediately comes to mind here is Matt DeCourcy. He's uh, served as an MP for Fredericton from 2015 to 2019. So one term. He was defeated in the 2019 election, and then he walked away with a severance package that came in just shy of $90,000. So on top of that, he expensed $8,690 on courses from the McGill Executive Institute. And, um, you know, this is billed as transition support. It's to help them land on their feet. But if you look at DeCourcy's resume, it looks like he had no trouble you know, landing on his feet after he left politics. He was appointed as a senior advisor to the federal minister of finance. In November 2020, he was named a fellow at the Pearson Center for Progressive Public Policy. And in December 2020, he landed a gig as a senior advisor to the president of the University of New Brunswick. Um, but on, on top of, you know, those those gigs, apparently he also had to expense two taxpayers, um, you know, a little bit under 10 grand to, to help with this professional development. Uh, another uh, case that I think is worth pointing out is uh, Selena, Selena Cesar Chavanez. Uh, she left the Liberal caucus in 2019 and didn't seek re-election that year. She received a severance package, again, just shy of $90,000, but she also sent taxpayers a bill for $3,989 from the Chopra Center. And I had to look this up because I had never heard of this before. It's a wellness retreat and training center founded by the author Deepak Chopra. Hmm. Uh, and one Sounds more nice. here. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> yeah. One more here. We'll round it out with three. Brad Trost. Uh, walked away with both a severance package and a pension. He also expensed the full 15 grand available to him to Harvard University. 
Huh. Isn't that something? <laughs> okay. And, and, you know, a couple of the examples that caught my eye were that you had these members of parliament. They then leave federal politics. So now they're ex-members of parliament. Then they tap into this transition support slush fund. And then they land right back into politics. Isn't that right? Yeah, we did have a couple of cases like that. So one, Murray Rankin, he was a MP for Victoria from 2012 to 2019. He received a $34,000 annual pension after leaving federal politics. And by July, or sorry, in July 2019, he expensed the full $15,000 available to him in the slush fund to the Rotman School of Management at the University of Toronto. Shortly afterwards, in October 2022, Rankin was elected to the B.C. legislature, and he currently serves as the Minister of Indigenous Relations and Reconciliation. There's also uh, Dan Rumi and Amarjeet Sohi, uh, both former Liberal MPs. They expense taxpayers for a combined $15,483 in post-secondary education costs. And then right afterwards, they were uh, elected mayor of uh, Maple Ridge and Edmonton, respectively. It's like you can't even make this stuff up, <laughs> you know. Um, now, one of the big issues with this, I mean, uh, let's just ob the obvious is that you have these members of parliament, former members of parliament billing taxpayers for Ivy League education. But another big issue here is that this is just one platinum perk on top of a slew of other platinum perks that our members of parliament are billing us taxpayers for. Yeah, it's, that's absolutely right. So for starters, the annual salary of a backbench MP in Canada right now is uh, $194,600. So that's the bare minimum any MPs are going to be making. Uh, the prime minister receives a salary of $390,000. Um, so if, they, if an MP serves less than six years in office, departing MPs receive half of the, their annual salary, so $97,300 as a severance payment. Um, if they serve for more than six years, they're also eligible for a pension. So following the 2019 federal election, the, C the Canadian Taxpayers Federation calculated the cost of severance and pension payments for departing MPs at 5.8 million and 104 million respectively. In 2021, those figures were 3.3 million and 42 million. Now, remember, the severance is typically sold to Canadians as a way to help MPs, you know, transition back to civic life. Uh, and uh, quite frankly, I got to say, I don't buy that argument, uh, but that's at least how it's sold to us. But on top of that $90,000 severance, they're also getting this $15,000 transition support slush fund. Uh, and it, it also, it's worth pointing out, this appears to be unique in the Commonwealth. You know, we looked at, we looked at Britain, we looked at Australia, we looked at Scotland, we looked at Wales, we tried to find other countries in the Commonwealth that are comparable to Canada to see if they had this, and, and they don't. So what's what's the fix? Like, what are we recommending? What's the solution here? Well, I think, you know, if severances are given to MPs to help them transition away from political life, then why are they getting this transition support slush fund on top of, you know, they're quite generous $90,000 severance payments. You know, politicians pays and perks, they need to be reined in. Um, and I think completely scrapping this transition uh, allowance slush fund is a, a pretty good place to start, you know, 
as I mentioned, most Canadians can't get fired and still build their former boss for an Ivy League education, and neither should Canadian MPs. Um, so the other obvious place to start would be reversing the pay raises that MPs have been taking every year. MPs took four pay raises since the onset of the COVID-19 pandemic. You know, they're now making about $15,700 and $31,400 more than they did before the pandemic. So the Harper government ended the automatic pay raises between 2010 and 2013. So we're calling on MPs to reverse the pay raises they gave themselves during COVID-19. Ryan, I just want to point out, man, really good job here. Um, and to all of our CTF supporters listening, like if Ryan wasn't the one who who dug this up, if our investigative shop didn't dig this up, I think almost like no Canadian would even know that they're getting this sweetheart transition support slush fund, former ex-members of Parliament, to build taxpayers so they could go to Ivy League schools on top of a severance, on top of an overly generous base salary. So if our investigative team wasn't digging this up, I don't think uh, really any Canadians would even know that this perk exists. It should not exist. And folks, if you want to learn a little bit more about this transition support slush fund, uh, we'll link in our show notes to an article that the National Post did covering the work that Ryan uncovered. We've got a really special segment for you here, folks. Uh, joining me right now are my two friends, Franco Terrazano. He's holding down the fort in Ottawa, also known as Mordor. He's our federal director. And Ryan, Ryan Thorpe is our Cracker Jack investigative journalist. And these two tag teamed on this next story. <laughs> don't say, don't say tag team. Don't say tag team? No, <laughs> no right? So on that note, for anybody listening to this in the car with the kids, this is not G-rated, okay? The language we're going to be using, we're going to be quoting things, but it's super gross. Don't let your kids listen to this if that's not for you. Okay, you have been warned. Okay, so Franco and Ryan, we've got a huge win to celebrate here from the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. The government just announced that it's going to scrap the Mission Cultural Fund, and this only came about after we blew the whistle on some of the weirdest spending ever. Franco, can you describe some of this spending for the audience, please? Oh, it's crazy. I mean, you had bureaucrats who spent more than $12,000 paying seniors in other countries to talk about their sex lives. Yeah, you heard that right, folks. The government of Canada <laughs> spent thousands of dollars. So seniors in places like Australia, Austria, and Taiwan could talk about their sex lives in front of a live audience talking about their first time, best time, worst time, last time that they had sex. Um, yeah, so the government of Canada, by the way, wasn't even paying seniors in Canada to talk about their sex lives. We were outsourcing old people sex stories to seniors in other countries. That's outrageous. Now, Why weren't they just oh, paying Canadian seniors? <laughs> keep, keep the money in the economy, so to speak, right? Create jobs here in Canada. Now, um, you know what would have been a better use of tax dollars? Paying seniors to talk about anything else, literally anything else. <laughs> yeah, you're kidding. All right. So 
That's a really gross and silly use of tax dollars. Uh, but folks, like I just said, Ryan Thorpe is our investigative journalist. Ryan, you dug up that information through an access to information request. And the CTF and our supporters have really, we've been the only ones yelling about this and shining a light on the Mission Cultural Fund and its massive amount of waste. Yeah, that's that's right, Chris. And so as a result, this is a really big win for the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, because um, I don't think most people would know that this, uh, you know, federal slush fund even existed, uh, if not for the work the CTF has done. So uh, through access to information requests, we were able to show, you know, the government, as, as Franco mentioned, paying seniors in other countries to relive their sex life on stage. Uh, the story ran in the National Post on May 10th. Uh, then we hosted our annual Teddy Waste Awards the following day. Before the end of the month, the government had announced that it was canceling the Mission Cultural Fund. Um, you know, from time to time, a couple of MPs would speak out uh, against the Mission Cultural Fund. But by and large, it was really only the Canadian Taxpayers Federation shining a light on this and speaking out against this ridiculous and obvious waste. Uh, and it was our supporters who were emailing their MPs and telling them to cancel the Mission Cultural Slush Fund. Now, we know <laughs> that the road to hell is paved with a certain thing. What was the intention of the Mission Cultural Fund, Ryan? Can you just give us a bit of, you know, the governmentees background on what its purpose was? Yeah, so essentially it was a slush fund for global affairs bureaucrats to waste our tax dollars around the world. Uh, the Mission Cultural Fund was created in 2016. Uh, it had a 1.75 million annual budget, and it was, quote, designed to promote our artists abroad while advancing foreign policy priorities. Um, but when we got the numbers, it was always way over budget. The average spending uh, was about $3.8 million annually, so more than double what its annual budget was. Uh, and it was essentially sold to Canadians as a way to advance our foreign policy priorities abroad. But I, you know, I really can't wrap my head around uh, why paying old people in other countries to talk about their sex lives would have anything to do with advancing Canadian interests abroad. Just even saying that out loud, I've had to explain this to some of my normie friends who aren't in politics. <laughs> They're just like, they what? You what? You're making this up. So, Franco, I know you did a really deep dive on this to figure out oh, sure where, where our money was going. Um, I'm going to put this gently and I'm going to get you to say all of the words. So this wasn't the only the seniors talking about their sex lives or lack thereof to a studio audience uh, around the world wasn't the only tawdry bit that we paid for here. Can you describe some of the other shows that we paid for? Oh, I would love to. I mean, the fund was also used to spend 8,800 smackers, 8,800 bucks on a sex toy show in Germany. So we gave thousands of dollars so an artist named Peaches <laughs> could host a show featuring giant, I mean, giant <laughs> sex toy shows in Hamburg, Germany. I mean, maybe that's why the budget's always going over budget because of these massive sex toys, who knows? Now, the name of this show in Germany was called Whose Jizz Is This? Now, maybe maybe I'm a little bit old fashioned, folks, who knows? But if the Germans wanna have their sex toy extravaganzas, maybe they could pay for it themselves 
not rely on taxpayers' money coming from Canada. Can't even. Okay, Ryan, you're up. Um, what were some of the more PG <laughs> examples of waste coming from the Mission Cultural Fund, please? Uh, well, I mean, these sex shows were pretty crazy, but uh, what really frustrated me about the slush fund is that it was essentially used to promote the work of people who were already famous. Uh, so through this particular slush fund, the Fed spent more than $50,000 on a red carpet photo exhibit for Canadian rock star Brian Adams. Uh, yes, the same Brian Adams who sings The Summer of 69. Uh, the exhibit included photos uh, Adams took of his famous friends, uh, including the prime minister. It included a large black and white photo of Trudeau, half turned towards the camera, dressed in suit pants and a white button up shirt with his sleeves rolled up. Uh, the government also gave uh, Margaret Atwood, you know, one of the most famous Canadian authors of all time, yeah. uh, nearly 10 grand to promote one of her new books in Australia, one of her books, 8 million copies was sold. So yeah. I'm pretty sure Atwood has enough money to fund her own promotional tours. Folks, folks uh, just to interrupt, Ryan. For If you yeah. don't know who Margaret Atwood is, she's the lady who wrote the book, The Handmaid's Tale, the one that became a huge Netflix series. She's not hurting for cash. So go ahead, Ryan. Yes, no, it's a, it's a good point. And, but the Mission Cultural Fund was also used to fund a $15,700 exhibit of Lynn Johnson's cartoons in Washington, D.C. And for anyone who doesn't know, Johnson is the famous cartoonist whose work has appeared in more than 2,000 newspapers around the world. Okay, so uh, let me just jump in here because the crazy thing about that cartoon spending in Washington is that it went 800 bucks over budget. Okay, so not only was this just a complete waste of money, but the government can't even keep its cartoon spending on budget. Okay, folks. Um, okay, so look, scrapping the Mission Cultural yeah. Fund, this absolute waste of money, this slush fund, it, it, it really is a very big victory. And it's a very, very, a, a very, very, it's a very big victory for the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. We're really the ones who are shining the light on this. We're really the ones making noise about this. And it was really our supporters day in and day out, uh, hammering the government with email, staying on top of these bureaucrats, letting them know that we're keeping an eye on this. So kudos uh, to our supporters for staying engaged. And this is a good example of some of the wasteful spending that we're able to eliminate if we stay active and keep the pressure on. But you know, no victory is, is everlasting. We've already seen the government say, quote, cultural diplomacy initiatives go beyond a dedicated program and funds and that diplomats will also have the option to use other funds to advance cultural diplomacy, end quote. Huh. <laughs> well, uh, my spidey senses are tingling because that sounds like the government isn't done wasting your money yet. So we have to keep an eye on the go the government, particularly global affairs bureaucrats. And we need to make sure that those bureaucrats don't just take the money that was saved by scrapping the Mission Cultural Fund and stash it into another sort of this type of slush fund elsewhere. Exactly. You know, if we're over the target, so to speak, they're going to panic and cancel something as big and glowing as the Mission, Mission Cultural Fund. But for better or for worse... They will try to distribute the money elsewhere and figure out a way to do it. Uh, Ryan and Franco, thank you so much for exposing this, so to speak. Uh, this is a huge waste of taxpayers' money. And just, to, ser just seriously, folks, just to give people some hope, every now and then we will all get emails here around this table saying, why bother? Why fight? 
They're going to waste your money anyway. This is why, folks, because if we shine a light on them and we ridicule them and we pillory them enough, they're eventually going to squeak and stop wasting your money. So keep up the fight, folks. You know, uh, I've been thinking to myself, you know, sex toy show, sex stories, Brian Adams, the summer of 69. There's got to be a joke in there somewhere. Maybe. Maybe.